Well, church, this morning I've been looking forward to uh, this day for a while because we get to go back to the book of Ephesians. I love Christmas time and I love the break of Advent, looking at Jesus' coming. Um, but I really like preaching through books of the Bible and we're back to Ephesians. Um, we have just a few more sermons left here. We're going to, um, I'm calling this like a little mini series here within Ephesians. That's the relationship series. Uh, we've seen in the book of Ephesians how the first three chapters, one, two, and three, tell us about how God has accomplished this great, grand plan that he, dis- that he um, put together to save humanity and to restore the, the cosmos, this really big, um, theologically deep one, two, and three chapters. But then at chapter four, he flips and goes to application of now that all this stuff is true, what does the Christian life really look like? After God has accomplished this big, great, grand plan in Christ, what does it look like day to day for Christians um, to be Christians? What does it look like for us to be Christians? And we saw that it looks like unity within the church. It looks like somebody um, taking off old clothes that were raggedy and putting on new clothes that are clean. Taking off the old um, attitudes and passions of life and putting on new uh, attitudes. uh, Actually, Christ's attitude in life. And we saw how that impacts all kinds of areas in life. But these next few, few, uh, few sermons are going to be focused on the relationships we have in life. Uh, we're going to be looking at husbands and wives. We're going to be looking at parents and children. And then we're going to be looking at employers and employees. So these are some of the most important relationships in your life. Because if you think, who is it that you spend all your time with? It's your spouse, your kids, and the people you work around, Right? I mean, there's not really that many more people you spend time with. The people at church, praise God for that. But unfortunately, we're here not too often during the week, right? So the people you spend the most time with are your family, your your husband and wife, your your kids, and your employer and your employees that you're around. So that's where Paul's going to focus in these next few sermons. And today, we're going to really be focusing on the mystery of... Uh, The mysterious meaning of marriage, the mystery of marriage, the mysterious meaning of marriage and what it means. And this is a this is a topic that is probably pretty timely as far as our culture goes. Right. There's confusion about what marriage is um, and and the purpose of it. Um, Gwyneth Paltrow and her husband, Chris Martin, from the band Coldplay, um, infamously or famously decided to consciously uncouple. Their marriage at one point. That was what they. That's what they. They described it as. Um, so marriage is is. It's changed over time, and today I want to give you a picture of what I would say is a biblical marriage. I'm not necessarily going to talk about a traditional marriage because if I say traditional marriage, that comes off as. Um, people have these certain roles that they're going to uh, live in their marriage. Um, The wife will do this, husband will do that. So there's a difference between traditional marriage, what we've seen traditionally uh, in culture, and what the biblical marriage is. Because um, traditional marriage, that's traditional in your culture. But I think what we're going to see today, biblical marriage transcends culture. And it's going to give us a picture of what marriage was designed to be, um, not only now, today, but what it was always designed to be from the very beginning. So we're going to look at three different sections in this. We're going to look at the wife, the husband, and the mystery. So if you're taking notes and you want to take down those three points, the wife, the husband, and the mystery are going to be the three points of this sermon. Let me read this passage for you. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Book of Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to pick up in verse 22. 
22. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. We're going to read all the way to 33. It says this. Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does the church." Since we are members of the body, for this reason, a man will leave his wife and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. So we see a command to the wife, we see a command to the husband, and then a little bit of an explanation of what marriage is. Um, And you'll notice... There's a little bit more instruction to the husband. I think that's because a lot of times we need a little bit more instruction because it just doesn't sink in with us. We need a little bit more, right? But we're going to start off with the wife, as Paul does. We're going to move to the husband and then see what it's all about in the end. So all you have to do um, to create some tension in a room is probably read those first few verses about wives submitting to their husbands, right? As I read it, you probably felt the air thicken um, to where it's kind of hard to, hard to breathe in it. Um, because I think this passage really lands on our culture's ears very poorly. That idea of submit just doesn't feel good, right? If you, if you watch a, um, some kind of wrestling match or an MMA fight, right? Submit means you lose. That's our idea of submit. So when we hear this said, it automatically hits us wrong because, you know, nobody wants to submit. But I think if we, as we look through this, we're going to see that submit isn't just giving up uh, and losing. That's not the idea in this passage. That's not the idea that God had when he spoke this to us. So as we read this, we see the first that the husband is the head of the wife. The husband is the head of the wife. Um, here he's being presented as the head, and Paul is using this as a metaphor um, to explain what marriage should look like. So what does he mean by this metaphor? I think that this metaphor of uh, the husband being the head is a picture of leadership. It's leadership. It's not that the husband is of higher value. It's not that he's being being portrayed as more important than the wife or more precious than the wife. It's not that the husband is of higher quality. Husbands are not portrayed as smarter or better with finances or faster readers or anything in this passage. That's not what he's saying. As a matter of fact, a lot of times our wives are more more skilled at a lot of things uh, than, than the husbands are. So it's not that the husband is of higher value or of higher quality, but I do think it's saying that we're of higher authority within this relationship, within this um, interaction. Uh, This position of authority is not based on merit or value, um, but on God's decisions to put husbands in this role. And wives should see their husbands as a loving leader, as a loving leader. And we're going to talk about what that husband looks like, what that loving leader looks like in a moment. But to suffice it, Paul says in this section, the husband is the head. 
And he says this metaphor points to another metaphor of Christ being the head of the church. So for a wife, the husband is the head and the church is the model. It says wives should not look just or wives should look to the church as their model of how they relate to their husbands. Obviously, you don't worship your husband like we worship uh, the Lord. But just as the church would look to Christ for direction and leadership, so should the wife look to her husband for direction and leadership. Just as the church supports the work, supports and works toward the cause of Christ, so should the wife work, uh, support and work toward the cause of the husband. The husband's the head, the church is the model, but we want to say this, Christ is the Savior still. The husband is ahead just like the, the Christ is ahead of the church, but Jesus is still your Savior. Jesus is still your Lord, wives, I'm speaking to you. Um, you submit to your husband only as far as he is submitting to the Lord. Only as far as he is submitting to the Lord. Christ is the one that all of us should be submitting to, um, even the husbands. Christ, as a matter of fact, he's the one that submitted to the Father's will, right? In the garden, in his whole life, he submitted to the Father's will. Submission is something that Jesus embodied and lived out in his entire life. If you read this verse and you look or read this passage, we read 22, but if you read 21 in chapter 5, it said submitting to one another out of fear of Christ. Submission characterizes every Christian's life because it characterized Christ's life. So as we submit in every relationship, men should submit in relationships as well. Husbands should. Um, we're submitting. As we submit, we're following in the footsteps of Christ. So to do what Jesus did is not a bad thing for you. It's not a bad thing for any of us to submit to the authorities that are placed in our lives. So if we're doing what Jesus did, we're on the right track. So as we think of submission, submit, what does that, kind of, what does that really look like? Because this... Ends this, uh, ends this passage by saying um, that she should submit to the, her husband in everything. I think that submit is a happy response to the support, uh, sorry, a happy response of support to a husband's biblical leadership. I want to say that again. A happy response of support to a husband's biblical leadership. So what submit doesn't mean is that a wife does whatever the husband wants all the time. It doesn't mean that she gives up everything. It doesn't mean that she has no input. It doesn't mean that she gives no um, thought to what goes on um, in, her, in the marriage, in the relationship. It doesn't mean you follow, especially it means this. You never follow your husband into sin. Uh, if your husband's leading you down a path to, be, um, to start a, a, a job of where you guys go around, um, and cut off people's catalytic converters and go sell them, you don't follow your husband into that because that is sin, right? Um, if, if your husband says, hey, let's, let's um, if in, in any way as the husband, if you were to lead you into sin, you submit to Christ first and foremost. Just like Peter says in Acts, we must obey God rather than man. Uh, and your husband is a man who you're in a relationship with, but a man nonetheless who will fail you at times. And there may be times where that husband may be encouraging you to sin, where you obey God rather than man. Uh, that's always the, 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 the um, standard for every submission. As, as, as we submit to our government, we submit to our government only as far as we can obey God in doing so. 
So women or wives, you submit to your husbands only as far as you can obey God as you do so. If your husband leads you to sin, you are not called to, to follow him in that. Uh, we even have examples um, through the Old Testament as, as Abigail. Um, she confronted her husband David and kept him from sinning. So all that to say, wives, as we submit, as you submit, um, you're following him in his biblical leadership, not in his sinful qualities. Also, it doesn't mean that you never express your opinion. Um, as we're going to talk about in a little bit, men, you probably need to get their opinion. Husbands, you need to get their opinion in a lot of things because they're going to have a better opinion of you than, than you. And it doesn't mean um, that you're unqualified um, in a lot of areas. As we mentioned, a lot of times women are going to be more uh, adept to handle finances, more uh, adept to do a lot of the things within a relationship. All right. So as we see in this picture, Christ, just as Christ is the head of the church, um, so the, the husband is the head of the wife, providing loving leadership, and the wife should submit to that, um, to that leadership um, in order to glorify Christ. So we've seen the wife, her role. Now let's look at the husband. It goes on to say this, husbands, love your wives. So we see for the husband, Christ is his model that he's following. The way that a husband leads a wife, the way that a husband interacts in a marriage should be as Christ interacts with the church. And what does it say? I want to read this again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So husbands, your love for your wife, one, should be a sacrificial love. A love that is self-sacrificing, giving up your wants, needs, desires for the sake of your wife's wants, needs, and desires. Loving her the way Christ loved the church. He laid down his life for her well-being. I think clearly that means husbands need to be willing to jump in front of the gun for their wife, right? Take a bullet. Um, if, if there's a weird noise in the house, you need to go check it out, not your wife in the middle of the night. If, there's, if you get mugged on the street after the, after the movie, you don't push your wife out to, to take on the guy. You need to go take on the guy, right? I think that means physically, but what's harder and tougher than physically dying for your wife is day to day dying to self for your wife. Loving her in a self-sacrificial way, uh, one that puts her, um, pu puts her before yourself. Just as P Paul describes in Philippians 2, that we should have the mind of Christ that doesn't consider others better than ourselves, but looks to the interests of others. You should look to the interests of your wife. So your leadership, husbands, as you make decisions, your decision-making should not just be in your best interest, but in the interest of your wife and subsequently your family. Um, the things that you do, the way you lead your wife should be in the interest of her and your family and obviously the Lord. So the love that a husband has for a wife is a sacrificial love and it's also a sanctifying love. It goes on to say Jesus died for the church that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and blameless. Husbands, your wife's discipleship, her growth in the Lord is your responsibility. Are you loving her in such a way that she's growing in the Lord? Does the way you interact with your wife result in her sanctification, her becoming more holy? Is your wife becoming more like Jesus because of your actions toward her, the way you talk to her, the way you treat her? Um, the way you interact with her, is she becoming more like Jesus because of you? Because that's what Christ did. As he laid down his life, 
He sacrificed for the church that he might sanctify the church to to help her, lead her uh, into becoming more like him. And in the same way, we lovingly lay down our lives for our wives, sacrificially, sacrificially, that we might help her become more like Jesus. So I ask the question again, is your wife becoming more like Jesus because of what you do in the home, because of the way you interact with her? So it is a sacrificial love, a sanctifying love, and it's a satisfying love. Notice what he says. He says to love your wife as you love yourself. What that means is most of us in here, I'm going to guess most of the guys in here, you when you feel a little bit of hunger in your tummy, you go grab a bag of chips, right? You never really neglect the, the hunger that you have in your stomach because you want to take care of yourself. If you trip and fall... Um, you usually throw your hands out. You don't just let your face bang on the, on the, on the concrete, right? You, you love yourself. And more than you even realize, you're all, our, our, our human tendency is just to take care and preserve ourselves. When you're thirsty, you get something to drink. When you're hungry, you feed yourself. When you fall, you, you brace yourself. Um, so just as much as you do that for yourself, just as much as you think of yourself, That's how much you should think of your wife. You should think of your wife as often as you think about you. Uh, You should think of your wife's needs as often as you think about your needs. And Paul's making the point of, you could rephrase what he said, how silly would it be for a husband or for a, a, a human to mistreat themselves? Right? Humans don't typically mistreat themselves. Even when we put ourselves through physical strain, it's that we might, you know, improve our our physique or something like that. But we we take care of our own body. And Paul's saying. Husbands, if you mistreat your wife, that's as insane and not right as you mistreating yourself, as you're doing yourself bodily harm. How silly would it be for a human to intentionally harm themselves? Well, that would be just as silly as a husband intentionally harming his wife. He needs to love her as he loves his own flesh. And this is the, this is the great irony of Christianity, and it's pictured here, The more you think of your wife, the more satisfied you'll be in your marriage. The more satisfying your heart will be in your marriage, the more you think of her. Just like in in regular life, the more you think of others, the more satisfied you are in life. Jesus says, the first, if you think about yourself first, you're going to be last. But if you put yourself last, you're actually going to end up being first. That's that's the, the upside down paradox of Christianity. The more you think of others the more satisfied you are in yourself. And husbands, the more you love uh, your wife with a sacrificial love, with a sanctifying love, it's going to be a satisfying love as well. As you take care of your wife, um, you'll be more satisfied in your life. And as we noted, uh, as we're going to get into, the wife is presented to, um, or Eve is presented to Adam as a helper um, in the garden. Now, what does the helper do? It, it aids, it comes alongside of, um, even does the job a lot of times in place of. How silly would it be for a husband as we lead our wives for us to ignore her input, uh, to ignore her thoughts on the things that we do, the decisions we make, the jobs we take, the places we live, um, the things that we do on a day-to-day basis. How silly would it be to ignore her, her help? Being a leader to your wife doesn't mean you just get your way all the time and don't ask her about anything. As a matter of fact, you should be asking her about it because she is your helper. I'll use a football analogy since I'm speaking to the guys. If you're a running back, how silly would it be to not follow your blockers, not follow the person that's there to help you accomplish your goal? 
It'd be silly to run the opposite way because there's not going to be any help there. In the same way, there's a, a perfectly qualified, amazing person in your home uh, there to help you um, and aid you in all the things that you do. Go to her for help. The wife is the helper. So we've seen the, the wife. We've seen the husband. The wife as she uh, submits to the husband as the church submits to the Christ. We've seen the husband. He should love his wife as Christ loved the church. Now we're going to see the mystery. The mystery. That term mystery, we think of it as something that can't be figured out, right? You watch a murder mystery show. Um, the mystery is, man, there's something crazy happening and we can't figure out what it means. That's what we think of mystery. But mystery in the Bible typically refers to something that was hidden but then is revealed later on. Something hidden but was revealed. So what was hidden? Why is, why is marriage a mystery that's referred to here? What was hidden? Well, we see in this passage that a husband and his wife are one flesh, just as Christ and the church are one body. So the meaning of marriage is to picture Christ's relationship with the church. And from the very beginning, God designed marriage to be a reflection of the forthcoming relationship of Christ with his church. So as a husband and wife become one flesh, so Christ and the church are one. Even back in the first few passages, the first few verses of Genesis, talking about the husband and the wife becoming one, the, the, a man will leave his father and mother and become one with his wife. That's a picture of the church. God planted that picture foundationally in our human DNA in order that he might have a picture of Christ's relationship with the church. Marriage, I'll say this, marriage is not an end in and of itself. Marriage is not an end in and of itself. What I mean by that is marriage is not the goal of marriage, just to get together and be satisfied in one another. That's a, that's, the, that's a byproduct of the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage, the reason why you're married, the purpose of being married to your spouse is that you might reflect to the world the picture of Christ and his church. That's what Paul says. He says this mystery is profound, speaking of the man and woman becoming one, and I'm saying, this is verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage points to Christ and the church. It's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the gospel. So the things that we mentioned here today, um, the interaction of husband and wife, why is it so important? Well, in one sense, it's important because that's the way you're going to have a satisfying and happy marriage, that you would live out these, this biblical um, interaction in your marriage. But that's not the only purpose. It's great when you have a great marriage and it's all working properly. But what about those days when <clears throat> you're not getting all of those, all of your needs met and you don't feel super happy in those moments in your marriage? Well, remember that marriage isn't just about you being happy. Marriage is about you glorifying the Lord and bringing, uh, bringing spotlight to the gospel, right? So as you go through those tough times of marriage, Remember that you push through those things that you might be satisfied and happy in your marriage, but also that you might glorify Christ and point to him uh, in your marriage. So as we think about all of these things, about the mystery of marriage and how it was something that was hidden uh, in, in marriage for all those years through the Old Testament, there's this message of Christ hidden there. And then when we get to the New Testament, we see Christ die for his church um, that he might um, rise from the dead to give her new life. That mystery that was hidden for so long is now revealed in each of our marriages. 
That's why it's important. I always encourage people, encourage marriages to invite people into your home to see the way you interact with your wife. Now that could be, and your husband. Now that could be super scary um, because sometimes, you know, it's not all uh, sunshine and rainbows, as they might say. Um, but you want to show people how to be married. Um, I think of you know, Whitney and I, what we did um, for the last few years, we did some college ministry with some of the students from NEO. They would come to our house um, every Thursday night um, and hang out. There'd be anywhere from like you know 10 to 20 college students. Um, and they got to come and see how me and Whitney interacted. And I'd be lying if there weren't sometimes where it was like, you know, at, at 7.25, we were like, blah, 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 fighting about something. And at 7.30, it's like, hey, how you doing? Welcome. Come on in. Glad you're here. We're super, you know. Um, but we got to invite those people into our home to say, hey, this is, this, is a, this is how a Christian marriage looks. I encourage you to do that with your, your kids and your kids' friends, um, people like that. Maybe people who are contemplating marriage, um, might want to get married someday. Invite them in. Show them what a Christian marriage looks like. Um, and what that might be. Give them advice on, on what Christian marriage would look like. Because as we think of um, this passage, it doesn't just apply to people who are married, um, but it applies to those who might want to be married at one day. And uh, students who are in here, um, whether they're high school kids or college kids, think about these things and what you should be anticipating and expecting in a marriage. Um, wives, don't marry a guy that you think can't lead your home. That's pretty silly. Um, husbands, don't marry a wife um, that, that, that is going to be, in some sense, not, not aiding you and helping you follow the Lord. Right? Think about those things as you lead into that. But what's most of all, we need to be a people um, here at First Baptist Church of Commerce that not only, um, uh, helps, not only uh, helps marriages work together, stay together, but also understands what marriage is all about in the first place, which is to glorify the Lord. Um, so as we leave here today, I want you to think of and think about the meaning of marriage, that it reflects Christ and the church. But I also want to challenge you. Um, most of us in here are probably sitting in the place we sit most of the time, right? I'm, I'm usually right here, and I can. this is what I think of. When Whitney says, hey, let's think of Christmas cards, I, I start looking at the church, looking at my view from preaching. I'm like, okay, uh, Mannings, please. Yeah, I just go through and think of where you guys are sitting you can probably do that as well, right? Because you know, as you walk into this room, you think, well, I can't sit there because you know, that's where Whitney sits. Or, right? you know, as you do that, go through this room tonight or this week and think through, who are the people in here who are married? I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for their marriage. Maybe you do it maybe once a night. Maybe you go through and you think, okay, the, this is where Bill and Pat sit. I'm going to pray for Bill and Pat. Uh, you know, and this is where Ashley and Aaron sit. Okay, and I'm going to pray for them. Um, go through and think of those who are married and pray for their marriage. Um, that They might be able to glorify the Lord uh, in living out this biblical example of marriage. Um, and as you do that, you might be, who knows, you may save a marriage because of your prayers. Because of, uh, as you bring the, 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 these people before the Lord, pray that these things will be lived out. God does amazing things through prayer. And remember, as we think of marriage, how it reflects Christ in the church, that Jesus died for his church, lovingly, sacrificially died for her, rose from the dead that he might give her new life. And in a response, the church willingly, lovingly submits to Christ and works toward his goals that he gives. Remember, that's the picture of marriage. Let's pray.
Father, we come before you. We